Today on the Stuff Your Bookkeeper Isn't Telling You, we're going to talk about what business owners should learn from Peloton. Peloton just released their results and they lost almost $2 billion in net income. So we're going to talk about that and what business owners should learn from that. So stay tuned for today's episode. So welcome back to the stuff your bookkeeper isn't telling you. I am Terrell Turner, and this is my amazing wife and co-host of the show, Lola Turner. Welcome back, Lola. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> Happy New Week, everybody. <laughs> so this week, we're talking about a topic where we're actually going to start doing a little something different in the show, bringing in some current event stuff, because something that a lot of business owners I think they miss out on is how relevant some of these very real big business stories, how relevant they are to their business. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, Peloton lost a billion dollars. That sucks for them. But what does that have to do with me? <laughs> right. I have my own business to focus on. I have my my three my thirty thousand dollar a month target I need I hit. I don't have time for to focus on new billion dollars right now. Okay. <laughs> and and I think for a lot of business owners, um, one of the things that I tell them is, you know, whether you are a billion dollar business yourself or whether your business is only doing a couple hundred million or let's say if your business is only doing, let's say, you know, 50, 50 million in, in revenue on an annual basis, or even if you're just down to, let's say you're only doing, let's say 20,000 a month in revenue or even less. I mean, Paying attention to those things that pop out, I think, can give you a lot of insight. It's one of those things that you and I talk about a lot where I'm like, it is so much easier to learn from the experiences of others who are further ahead of you than right. you having to learn it yourself. Yeah, and I think it's uh, not just even learning the experiences. I think another point is also just a a good indication of where the market is headed, because I think sometimes people don't realize that a lot of these big companies, when things like this happen, it trickles down to the smaller businesses. So you might think, you know, right now it doesn't impact me, but trust me, the, the way the economy works and the way just the capital market works, it will come back somehow one way or another to impact you. So it's important to just, you know, not be completely engrossed in it, but to know enough to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I'm curious what your experience was, because, you know, my experience of graduating from college of working in account in public accounting, then working for some smaller organizations and then going back to Fortune 500 companies. I feel like when I when I got to General Electric, um, mm -hmm. I was at high a high enough position to where the things that I did on an everyday basis were kind of like, man. These are all those case studies that I read about in school or you hear it talked about to where like I finally felt like some of the stuff we had covered in school was finally relevant because at those smaller companies, I was just like, I'm not seeing any of the scenarios that I've studied in school. But when I got to GE, it was just like, hey, hey, it's almost like my college curriculum was written for people to go work at big companies like GE and other 
Fortune 100 companies? I think it, I would say from my experience, I think it depends, it depended on the role. Like, I think there's even some roles that are high executive roles or higher, higher on the, the ladder that still don't really have an understanding and a concept of what their role, how their, how what's going on in the market directly impacts them. I'll give it, I'll give you an example. So I think for me, like, during COVID, I mean, my job, I was in commercial finance at the time and working for a Fortune 500 company and at the time supporting an oil and gas business. So <laughs> the drastic swings in oil and gas prices, you could see as the as the barrels, the price of a barrel went up or went down. I think there was a point during COVID where they were actually, I think the price was like in the negative. So you would actually have to pay to buy. I mean, just ridiculous things like that. But I think it really depends on the roles because I think the closer you are to the product, the the more of an impact you feel, assuming you're really dialed in with like the sales team and some of the operational guys really understand it because you start to see that impact on your PL a lot quicker than someone who, for example, works in HR would um, or someone who works in another operation would. But like I think the closer you are to the operation is what I found is the quicker you were impacted because you're almost having to take like as prices were going up, you're almost having to immediately adjust prices to compensate for that. And so I think the more the closer you are to the operational roles, the quicker you feel the impact of that and the quicker you have to kind of pivot to make sure you're not losing um, your money or not losing as much money um, as these things are being being done. Okay. No, that, that, that is a, I think that is a, a very fair perspective. So mm -hmm. the thing that we wanted to talk about, you know, that I, you know, we discussed in the intro um, is, you know, with Peloton and there mm -hmm. are so many layers to kind of unfold. So let's kind of go step, you know, kind of piece by piece because yeah. there may be some people who are familiar with Peloton as a brand name, but mm -hmm. they don't really know it as a business. And I think that that becomes a, a very important piece is do you is one thing to understand the brand. But do you understand the business that that brand is associated with? Yeah. And I think uh, you make a good point, because before we started our business, to be honest with you, I don't know that I was really thinking about like when I would hear things on the news, I'm like, oh, OK, cool. Or even in and before doing commercial finance, like. I heard things and I was just like, okay, so, you know, I know Peloton, I know that they're, they're by company, but right now, whenever I hear anything on the news, I'm always like, oh, okay, so what does that mean? Like, how does that kind of the business, how does the business behind that work? Right. And I'm always curious about that. And I think part of that is just because of, you know, being a business owner ourselves, it's always intriguing just to see, okay, how do they operate it? What's their business model? So I'm kind of eager to talk about, uh, you know, First of all, Peloton, when it was founded, you want to want us to dive a little bit just into the history and then maybe talk about the business model for those that don't know. Yeah, yeah, we can dive into that because I, I, I think that this that's such important. So I think for Peloton, like I don't know the technical like the uh, what what year was it founded? It was founded in 2012. So they haven't even been around okay. for 10 years. Like that to me okay. is pretty impressive and you kind of see see why when we talk about the revenue but so they've been around for 10 years um i think the founder was actually an executive of barnes and noble 
Um, and he left Barnes and Noble. And I think pretty much the story behind it, I think was he found, which I can completely relate to this um, as someone who does group workouts, he found that he was more engaged and more consistent when he worked out with the group versus when he just went to the gym. And so I think he wanted to, he was inspired to create something that would kind of have that group workout accountability from wherever you were. So he founded Peloton. And I think since then, I mean, they've gone, they started raising, which you'd probably know more about this, Terrell. I'm not really familiar, like startup series a series b but they've raised a lot of money i think like over like a billion plus dollars is what they had raised before they went public and they went public in september of 2019 so like right before covid started um and so since then the company's kind of gone up and down they grew a lot because i mean at that time everybody was locked up at home when covid started so you know good ways to exercise um and then since then i think they went public in yeah they went public in 2019 the pandemic happened and then the business kind of just took off yeah so i think you know for those that are listening i mean when you talk about like the the, the pre-ipo or initial mm -hmm. public offering and Probably the best way to think about that is when they start trading on like a major stock exchange, meaning like the everyday person can go buy shares of the company. Prior to that, when you're a public, your private company, um, the way you raise capital is by these private investors or institutions. And you go through like series A, B, C, some I've seen it go as far as like a series F, but a lot of times what what's happening in those stages is you're raising company you're raising money from people who believe in where the business is going and after you get past kind of series c all mm -hmm. of those people believe that your business can go public so they're just they're like hey we're giving you money because we know that you're gonna you know eventually go to trade on a new on a stock exchange so then they can cash out at that level now i have a quick one of the question things oh go ahead um, can you maybe just explain what's the difference just between A, B, and C? Like as you progress, what what do and I know yeah, this so isn't I mean, like a this isn't like a stock episode, but I'm curious. One way to think about it is like A is gonna be like A is probably your your that's probably the riskier stage of the business, meaning like you don't really have a ton of like recurring revenue in place. Like mm. those people are taking a bigger risk. Okay. Um, because you're really, really early in your process. Okay. Um, when you get to B, you have a little bit more of a business kind of established. Now you're just trying to grow to the next level. Then when okay. you get to like C, D, E, and F, like that's where you really have some really good traction going. You just need more capital. Like, for example, like people who are kind of like between C and F, they're mm -hmm. like they're probably like trying to go international or trying to take it global. Um, whereas okay. people who are A, you're really just trying to you got a good product, you just need to get it to the market. Um, B, you just need to expand like you know, nationwide. C through mm -hmm. F, you're trying to go global and beyond. Got it. Okay, that's helpful. That's helpful. All right. Do we want to talk about the business model? Um, Peloton. Yeah, so model? So, so I think that one becomes a very important one. And, and I do think this is an important piece for when you look at a business like Peloton, I think sometimes people may look at the financials and, and you know, because I guess when you look at Yahoo um, and I'll say, Lola, you have the, 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 the image of Yahoo, like when you go to, because I will say for a lot of these publicly traded companies, you can go to Yahoo Finance and you can pull up, you know, what's going oh, sure. on on Yahoo Finance. And it'll quickly show you, hey, 
what the what the the, the financials look like for you know when you look at it that way but I, I do think that you know a really good thing to see um because even if you if you zoom in a little bit on the revenue like most people look at it and they see the revenue and they're like oh, okay all right they did you know and you know in 2021 they did four billion in 2022 they're oh, the last trailing 12 months they did like 3.8 billion and, and which mm -hmm. i think gives you some aspect if the company only had one product but i think right. the better way to look at it is to actually look at their financial statements because in the financial statements is where they start to break it down a little bit more because you get mm -hmm. to see how much comes from actually selling the bikes itself and then how much comes from the subscription because what a lot of people don't understand about the you know the business model of peloton they may think that Peloton is just a bike company where right. no, they're really kind of like a bike and like group training class company. That's where the subscriptions come in. Um, and that becomes very important because what you'll notice is a lot of times the profit margin on the subscription is much better than the profit margin on actually selling the physical product. Because right. if you're just selling a product, I mean, you got to deal with things like supply chain issues, you know, material mm -hmm. costs. But if you're doing a subscription model, a lot of times those cost constraints, especially if it's a subscription model that relies on technology, your profit margins are going to be much higher. So for one one perspective, you can look at Peloton and say Peloton is like two different two separate businesses that came to form as one. One business is the selling of the product. The other business is the subscription for like the group training or people that want to get access to all of those training, those classes and all the metrics and stuff that come with a subscription model. Yeah. And I think uh, another thing here that's also interesting, I just did the quick math. So like the margin for the the actual product is like 28% in 2021. So like if you take your your revenue minus what the cost of revenue was, you get a margin of about 28%. But the margin, like you said, Terrell, for the subscription, completely different. I think it's like 62%. So yeah. you're walking away with a lot more money in your pocket um, if you're doing the subscription model or subscription revenue than you do from actually selling the Peloton. So most of the revenue comes from that recurring or most of the benefit to to your margin comes from the recurring revenue, I, even though you have you know the the numbers what like is that what three four times almost higher um, than the product sales than subscription, but you're keeping more of your revenue um, than you would if you were just selling the the machine. So I think that makes like a big difference for a couple of reasons, which we're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, because it's one of those things. Like I was teaching a class, a finance class last week. And one of the ways that I was explaining this to them, because a lot of them, they, they weren't accounting and finance background, but one of mm -hmm. the ways I was explaining it to them is, so if your profit margin on the bike, on the actual physical product, the bike or the weights or whatever it is, whatever product you're getting, if you're at, your profit margin is 28% on that, but your profit margin on the subscription is 62%, what that means is for every dollar you get from a customer for a product, yeah you only keep 28, 28 cents on every dollar. That's a good but way to for explain it. the subscription, you get to keep 62 cents on every dollar. So from a business standpoint, the question is, if I want to grow this business, 
which one do I want to sell more? The situation exactly. where I only keep 28 cents on a dollar or 62 cents on a dollar. That's really good. I think that's like a perfect way to explain it for people that are non-finance people. Because <laughs> I think sometimes when you talk about margins, people are like, okay, what does that mean? Like, it's the money you get to keep. And it's the money, I guess I would define it as this is the money you get to keep to use to do other things in your business. And I'm always going to say this, and this is something I always tell like my friends that are business owners that are not really like finance people. It's like, I don't care how much money you make. If you don't get to keep any of it, it's kind of useless. Or like, if you're not, you know what I mean? Like, it's all about, it's the money you make and the revenue you make is great. But what's even better is the margin and, and what you get to keep when you're running your business. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's important because a lot of, I mean, when you read a lot of news or you hear about companies, most people describe themselves by the size of their revenue. Like, oh man, mm -hmm. this is a this is a, a, a $10 million business. And and I hear a lot of people say that about oh, yeah. oh, our business did 20 million. And in the in, in my head, I'm thinking like, that doesn't mean anything to me. How much of it exactly. did you actually profit? Like, how much did you get to keep? Because that's exactly. what matters more. <laughs> exactly. Because at the end of the day, and it's and it's almost like there's the net, I don't want to go into it too much, but there's your gross profit and then there's your net net operating or net income at the the bottom line. So like, I guess your gross profit is what I would say, what do you get to keep to help you run the business, right? You can use it on selling, marketing, research and development, whatever the chart, the expenses are. Um, and oftentimes there isn't, you see the companies that really do grow and do well are companies that have a pretty big emphasis on gross profit. Like we need to make sure that our top line or the money that we make trickles as far down as possible to help us actually run the business. Because what you don't want to do is have to go borrow money to run your day-to-day -day operations, right? You want to take money to actually invest to grow the business. You don't want to take money to sustain it. So I think like operating income becomes such a big deal and like, or gross margin becomes such a big deal, sorry. And I think that's why it's a real, like, it's always funny to me when people are like, yeah, this is like a $50 billion revenue company. And then you look at their gross profit and it's like 10%. And you're like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, because I will <laughs> say now different people, now this is something that, may be very controversial to some people uh some people will get in their feelings about it or whatever um but <laughs> so what who cares um, <laughs> say it anyway you know okay. it's one of those things that i would look at like a company like amazon where so well, a lot of people i mean will say oh man i would really buy amazon uh, you know amazon's great business but when you look at amazon's margins they are like super super low now I'm not saying that you shouldn't own Amazon. I'm just saying like, if you're trying to own Amazon for the short term, it's probably not a good bet because they're okay. not, I mean, they're playing a longer game. Like I just finished reading this book called The Four. I will say, if you're going to read the book, it's about Google, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook. If you're going to read it, you got to prepare yourself because in some parts of the book, the author does sound like a little bit of a pessimistic hater in some of it. Like um, some of it. <laughs> Some of it, he is a little bit petty. Um, I'm just going to be honest. Book review. <laughs> um, okay. he, did, he does provide some good insight, but I do think some of it is just like, all right, that's a little too much of your personal opinion. That's not based right. on fact. Um, but I do think it, as one of the things that he did bring up in there is that Amazon is one of those companies that's playing kind of like the long game, meaning they're willing to take a low profit now because they're trying to funnel so much business 
that in some cases they're intentionally trying to be the low cost provider to pretty much box out the competition and then introduce their own version of the product which has a higher profit margin like one exactly. of the things he talks about like how they did it with batteries like you know right now i think in what he cited in the book you know at one point you know what uh, you know your duracell your energizers used to be like the main batteries that people buy now i think he cited in the book and i haven't fact checked his number but his number was you know like three-fourths of every batteries that are sold are now amazon batteries meaning mm. amazon accepted very low margin for a long time to really see like hey this battery market is pretty good then they created their own version of the batteries now they get a higher profit margin because they're selling their version of the battery so part of it is strategic with amazon but i think i say all that to say it's just like when you look at a business like amazon i think is why you see amazon getting into more digital products a bit more because profit margins are higher because amazon is like you know from a revenue standpoint is enormous but then when you look at the bottom line and you say less than like five percent profit like they're selling billions and billions of dollars but they're keeping like five cents of it or they're keeping like two cents of it and i think it gives you a different perspective now if you're a business that's working a long strategy i think it makes sense but if you're a smaller business you really do need to ask yourself uh, that question you were asking lola it's you know how much of this am I actually keeping? Yeah, and I think I think I'm actually curious to see how Amazon has performed in terms of margin over over the years. And I know we're not. I don't want to get sidetracked because we're not talking about Amazon. But I'm actually interested to see if that strat how well that strategy has worked because I know that they're doing the same thing in the fashion industry. So they have like this this uh, Staples. I think it's called Staples by the Drop or the Drop by Staples, where they partner with Instagram fashion influencers or fashion yeah to launch their own lines. And as a lot of people know, like Amazon is pushing to have people order products, you know, through Amazon, right? Eventually with the intent to basically launch their own line and be able to sell their own products. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that works, but very valid point. I think if your intent is to grow long term, then it makes sense. But for the business owner, small business owner, especially if your business is what, less than what, five to 10 million, like you might not have the cash flow to be able to sustain running and managing the business like until you know, you beat out your competition. <laughs> so. Honestly, I mean, I think if your business is less than 250 million, if your business is less than 250 million, you may not have the cash flow to be, hey, we're going to be the low cost provider. Yeah. Because also, I mean, there is a little bit more to it because from an Amazon standpoint, what Amazon says is their product is not the thing that you are buying. Their product exactly. is the convenience. So the platform, what they're right. really what they're really selling is the convenience because right. they're like you can go on their platform to buy energizer batteries, you can buy mm -hmm. Duracell, or you can buy you know the Amazon version of the batteries. What their product really is is the platform, and I think right. for most business owners, is when you start looking at your business model, you have to really ask yourself because I think is. How are we really making money? Like, why are people really coming to us? And I think to what you were saying, as far as like the story on with Peloton, when the founder realized, hey, I work out better when I'm in a group or class, which mm -hmm. means 
the the bike itself isn't your real product because that's not really what drives people to actually you know go to peloton is because of hey i get the bike because there used to be that lance armstrong bike there used to be the other type of bikes i mean there's a ton of different bikes you can go and buy but it's just like what is different about a peloton and I think that's why they also diversified, right? Because I remember, or they changed. Because I remember when when Peloton first came out, and I remember me trying to use it in the gym. Like you could only do the classes on a Peloton bike, and then they changed to where they expanded it, where you could do it on any other bike. And I think that was then the other thing where maybe the the team started to realize, like, all right, it's more so about the community. Because honestly, like even when you see the ads for Peloton now. There is the focus isn't on the bike. The focus is on the community where they show like the instructors and like everybody else, like people dialing in and tuning in from all over the world. And so they're focusing more on promoting the community, which I think is great. Um, And I think that's a good way to like strategize. But to your point is like as a business owner, you need to be focused on what are people coming for? Right. Don't focus on the wrong thing. Like if they're coming for the experience, then maximize the experience that they get. If they're coming for the product, then how do you deliver this product in the best possible way to the customer that is also cost effective for your business? Because I think ultimately that really will be what people remember. Um, And I think like we're seeing it like with Peloton where it's like it's there's a focus more so on the experience and so when people do Peloton because I remember when I did Peloton my butt was hurting afterwards but I really liked the class like sitting on that bench for 45 minutes it was painful however however after the experience I was like okay like I really enjoyed the class because you really feel like you know you're being hyped up and stuff and I like the group classes and so I think they did a really good job or that specific instructor did a really good job of making me want to come back even though it was uncomfortable on my butt originally. Um, And I think ultimately that's kind of the experience you want to create with your products as a, as a question is, did you go back? No, because (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you why, let me tell you why. No, no, let me tell you why I did not go back. Okay. In all defense, in all my defense, I did not go back because this was at the time when you had to use the Peloton bike. And the only time the only place where they had a Peloton bike was in the gym where the building that I was working in. And I would go into the office like three times a week. So I'm like, mm, I can run at the gym at the Planet Fitness, or I can go drive 15 minutes to go use this Peloton. So I think if they had, if I had realized, cause I didn't realize until recently that they changed the strategy where you could use it on any bike. If I had realized that more, you know, before that, I probably would have gone back. But yeah. no, I didn't. No, I think return. I think that's a I don't think that's a good point because there was a Peloton commercial that I saw uh, where the person's on the Peloton bike and you know doing class and there's, there's a phrase that the instructor keeps saying. And then you know, later on in the commercial, you see that person on an actual bike outside and he's pedaling, and then his wife pulls up and his wife says that phrase. That you hear in the peloton class because i think the the from the business model perspective of realizing that hey if we center all of our business around this physical product mm-hmm. the people can only use it in one place exactly. whereas when you when you switch to hey the product is really the community people exactly. can take that feeling with them Anywhere. wherever to right. where 
even if you're on your own bike because you want to get outside and you want to ride and if you're outside but you're you're thinking about man the experience you had with the class with the group or whatever i think that's where a lot of businesses are trying to get to is like how do we create a you know shift our attention away from we're not just this product or just right. this service right. we are a community um because i think even for for us for about, I mean, that's one of the things that I think about myself is how do we do that in, you know, we offer bookkeeping and CFO services. How do you build a community around that community feeling around that? I mean, especially when, you know, usually find, you know, bookkeeping tax and CFO services tend to be a bit silo because, you know, that's people's very personal financial information they exactly. don't want to share that in a group normally but it's just like how do you how do you kind of build what peloton did transition from just the product to more of a community that has the product in common it's just like how do you kind of transition to that any thoughts on that that's a really good question. And I think the thing that I immediately thought about is people always I mean me included people always like to tell success stories right? People always like to tell stories after they come out, come through it. Like, man, it was just so bad. And who before, like, if I think about, for example, just like, I'll, I'll use an example. Like I recently left a review for this bird, this place called Bird Bootcamp that I go to. Shout out to the Bird Bootcamp fan. They are not promoting this episode, but I'm just going to give them a special shout out. And it was hard for me to talk about like, hey, working out because at the time, like, that class was brutal. I mean, it's still brutal, trust me. But like, I guess just as my endurance has built up and as I've increased, it's so much easier for me to talk about, hey, when I started the class, because I've seen, started to see results. Hey, when I started the class, hey, you know, I wasn't in the best shape or I wasn't as consistent, but it's helped me build discipline. And I think the same goes for like, if I think about our business and we, the people and the clients that have referred us the most are people who have had, like came into the business working with us, completely lost, didn't have a sense of what was going on in their business, felt frustrated, then saw the tangible results that we actually provided with the information that we were sharing. And when they were then telling their story, because it was coming from a place of success versus, hey, I'm still in this mess and they're helping me through it. There was some sort of progress that they could point to and say, hey, this has improved. And now I feel confident to tell somebody about my progress because I'm no longer there. And you find it even with weight loss stuff. Like nobody asks people who are still like, who have a goal of losing 50 pounds. I've only lost five to share the testimonial. Like everybody's focused on, you know, <laughs> the person that lost 50 pounds. Because at the end of the day, like everybody loves a good success story. And I think at the end of the day, the focus is really on how do you as a client and as a uh, as a customer like how do you make your clients and customers feel like when they have an experience with you they are coming when they when it's time to talk about your product and it's time to talk about your service there's a success story that's linked to it because i think ultimately that's what makes them feel empowered to be like man and it almost like makes them also think like man i made the right decision going with this person Right. It's also like mm -hmm. a affirmation that they made the right decision. And so for me, I think really the emphasis on are your clients walking away with some sort of success story after you use their after they use your product or your service is really going to be the testament of how you can really build and create that community. Awesome. Awesome. You know, that, that's a good you? perspective, because one of the ways that I think about it is, you know, it's, you know, giving them something that they can take away, because I also think about like 
you know, when I run the Spartan races, I'm not like an avid runner, nor am I like an avid like, hey, I am all about doing obstacle course races. I do maybe two, one, maybe two a year. Um, but it's just that feeling of when you finish and you get the shirt and you get the medal, like it becomes something I think that that connects people together to right, where if you see right. somebody with a with a Spartan shirt, it's where it's just like, hey, you know that person. Well, the assumption is that person earned it. Cause I would say <laughs> me personally, like, I don't let my wife wear my Spartan shirt. Like, not, uh, not I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't even dare do that. Like, cause I remember, uh, I don't remember where I was, but somebody had asked me, like, when I, and I actually see it now when I see people wearing Spartan shirts, I'm like, oh, where Spartan did you run? Like, my husband ran that race. I never tell him I did because I'd be lying, of course. But like, I, it's always like a good conversation starter because there's just kind of this level of like respect. Like, ooh, like, I remember when we run the Tough Mudder, I wear my shirt everywhere. We're pride and I put my shirt on and I'm just like, yep, I ran that. Cause then like, especially like people who may have never ran the race, they just have like, it's like, Ooh, like these tough mudder race marathon people. There's just such resilience. And again, I think it goes to the success story. There's an assumed success story because nobody will say, Oh my gosh, I didn't even, I barely even finished that uh, little wall jump when I went through it. <laughs> because at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, I got the product to show, I completed this or I have like some sort of memorabilia um, and it definitely creates like that, um, that community feel that you mentioned Terrell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for a bookkeeping or accounting firm or CF fractional CFO firm, it's really, how do you create that? What's that thing that they take with them? And one of the things we started doing is, well, one of the things that I'm noticing as a trend is, you know, several of our clients may be in some type of business coaching program. And and I, I also do coach, you know, law firms through a coaching program as well. And one of the things that I find of building simple like finance tools or like, you know, um, like we're using Google Data Studio, like a simple dashboard, because it's like we had a client that was going into he got accepted into this incubator program and they asked about seeing his numbers him being able to pull up his dashboard and see the numbers that they were asking for was like, man, other people in the program took notice. Like, oh man, like who are you working with that could give you something like that? And, and, and I think it's, we have our logo. We should put our logo on those dashboards. I'm just saying. <laughs> and I think it's just one of those things of just finding like, because like I said, when you run a Spartan race, you get a t-shirt and people wear the shirt around or mm -hmm. like, but you know, like we're not going to have like a bunch of TL Turner group shirts and be like, Hey, wear this. But I do think it's understanding think like, I mean, we could, but, but I think what I've seen to be an even more effective route is, is when you're a lot of our clients may be in like, let's say some type of coaching program, or they may be in some type of business networking group. And when we provide our clients with the necessary tools that they can easily recall their numbers. So yeah. when they're having a conversation, like let's say, for example, um, a working with, we're working with a marketing company. When our marketing company can talk about, hey, what's the gross margin on, they have a, a, a base, a medium, and a premium service. When right. they can readily talk about, yeah, the, the gross margin on our premium service is this, the gross on the base is this, 
and the girls on me when they can have that conversation and bring that up um i think what it it almost becomes like that calling card of people see it like well i want to be able to talk about my business that way That's like true. how can That's i true. be part of whatever it is that you're doing how can yeah. i be part of that so that i can talk about my numbers the same way to where I think that's one way of kind of creating community is turning your clients into ambassadors by giving them the tools so that they can look good talking about them, even if they're still in that process of developing and growing. Right. I mean, right. if you give them something that they can brag about yeah. and or tools that help them brag or even just communicate effectively about what's going on in their business, I think it does kind of help create that community where other people are like, Hey, well, I want to work with the TL Turner group too. Like, can they help me? Yeah. And I think, uh, also to the point that you made, I think the great thing about finance is it never really, I guess there's always progression. You know what I mean? So you have a further and a further deeper understanding. So even if it's just like you said, the quick recall of my numbers, like if you ask business owners today, like, the average business owner, how much money did your, how much revenue did your business do today? Or how much money did you walk away? Like, they're going to be like, okay, give me a second. Um, maybe I need to go pull this QuickBook stuff and look at this. But really, if you have a dashboard where you can quickly answer those questions, I mean, it's like night and day difference, right? So I, I think to you, that's a really, really good point is, are you empowering the tools, your clients with the tools they need to then make themselves and their businesses look good, which then makes you look good, which again is why I think we should definitely have um, a logo of the TL Turner Group on those dashboards. So I'm going you know, to that's, propose that. That is a good point because there have been some, you know, some other accounting firms that have seen it and said, oh my gosh, like what you guys are doing is great. And plus, like I said, we work with like tools like LiveFlow to automate it to where mm -hmm. some other accounting firms have actually reached out and said, hey, can you create a white label version of this that we can use with our clients to where we'll, you know, code it, set everything up and design it all in the background and mm -hmm. then hand it over to them to where then they can actually, you know, interact with their clients or whatever. Because I do think I well, I will say I have found that doing stuff like that is a game changer for the client, because, again, I think similar to how Peloton had to realize, hey, our product is not just a bike. Our product is the community around, you know, exercise, which is where they went from just being having the bikes to then having the actual weights to then where there are more classes that they offer other than just the bike. Um, right. There were some that I saw where they were doing a weightlifting class or like a hit workout, you know, to the you know, the bike is sitting there, but they turn the screen around on the bike so they can do a hit workout, which it, it just really reemphasizes the same thing. I think for like our business is what, hey, we're not just providing accounting services. We're providing people that comfort and confidence about what's happening with their finances. And, right. and I think that that allowed us to go from just doing the bookkeeping and then sending you a PDF of your financials to hey, creating these, you know, custom tools to say, hey, here's a better way for you to digest the information. Whereas, you know, if you don't want to pull up a PDF of your of your P&L, hey, here, look at this dashboard. This dashboard will give you all the important information you need to know. And I think it's just really transitioning the focus from just technical accounting to, 
Our job is to help you get comfortable and smarter about making the financial decisions that you need to make and creating a community around that as opposed to, hey, we're just like every other bookkeeper or fractional CFO on the market. Like, nah, we're a little different. We we offer community around this. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. And I think I think I would say. Uh, the point that you, the points that you made so far have been really good. I think one of the other things that I would say from this whole Peloton experience as Peloton has been trying to push very hard on like expanding like their, their subscription, because like we saw with 2021, their actual sales from bikes were what, like four times higher than their revenue yeah. from like the subscription. So I know that they've been trying to push to, to really sell more of that, more of that. And what I would say, I think, for me as a as someone on the financial side of things what i would advise a business owner um, and one of the lessons i would say that you can take away from this is when you're looking at your product and, and what you're selling whether it's products whether it's services is just really studying your customer's behavior right i think peloton probably knew someone at peloton and the executive team probably knew that the pandemic was not going to last forever um and so it was important to think about how do we diversify what we're offering. So what do you think about, what do you think about that first point of just, Hey, making sure that you understand, Hey, as your customer behavior is changing, making sure that you're adjusting your product offering to match that. Yeah. I mean, I do think that that is vital for every business is to really understand like who is your customer first. Mm -hmm. And then what are some of the characteristics and the patterns and the habits of those customers? I mean, it's one of those reasons why, I am now I'm a very big fan of you don't want to do business with everybody. Mm -hmm. You want to do business with the people that it makes the most sense to do business with. So, I mean, that's not except everybody is not your customer, mm -hmm. um, because I think if you accept everybody, it's hard to study everybody. But when you start to yeah. get more specific, like, for example, in our case, we decided, hey, we're going to specialize in law firms. The more we focused on law firms, the more we could come up with better strategies and we can evolve and we can come up with better ideas. Now, that doesn't mean we don't work with any other type of business. It just means right. that we're focused. And I think when you focus, it allowed us to be able to study the unique challenges that lawyers have. And that's kind of how we came up with some of those easy to use tools. Mm -hmm. But I think if we were trying to serve everybody and you're trying to study, hey, well, what do marketing businesses do or what do restaurants do? What do lawyers do or what does this type of business do? Like if you were trying to study everybody at once, I think you would never actually get to the next level of realizing like, hey, like Peloton did. Hey, when they study their customers, hey, people like working in groups and classes right now, people are working at home. But hey. How do we create a community so that when things open back up after the pandemic and people start going back out, like people can still feel that sense of community. And, right. and I think that that's something that as a business owner, you have to understand your customers, understand what your customers are going through. And then I think you have to say, OK, how do we position our product or the next version of our product? to meet the needs that our customers are about to walk into. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that positioning your product and positioning your next product, because I think sometimes people get so caught up in um, 
whatever it is they think is the best product to sell to their customers. If I think about maybe some of the clients we've had where they've offered a diversity of certain products and they found that one product has been doing better than the other. I mean, at that point, that's a probably a good opportunity for you to adjust um, your offering. If you see one is performing higher than the other, or there are certain times where your customers tend to come in or buy, how do you make sure that during those peaks, like it's more available so that you don't run out? And I think that really is important. And I think that's where having a forecast is important, which basically a forecast, I would define it as a view of what you're expecting to come, right? Whether it's over the next week, over the next two weeks, over the next month. And I think a forecast is is so critical for that. And specifically in my experience, like you should be making real-time decisions in your business based off of how you're seeing the trend, not just, you know, from the customer data, like you talked about, Terrell, like understanding the trends. But I think also once you take the trends, like, okay, how does that impact the different planning you're doing your business, how much inventory you need, how much, um, you know, you need to buy, who needs to be working on what days, like all of those are important. And we've seen that having, making decisions from that point of view has really helped a lot of our customers because you're not just operating as you normally would. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very true. I mean, the forecast, and, and I always say this about a forecast is that it's not going to be exactly accurate, but I do right. think it does give you a, a idea to frame how you're thinking about the next steps. Mm -hmm. Because I think a forecast does, it forces you to sit down to ask the question of, hey, what are the most relevant factors that can cause a change in our business? Like, for example, when Peloton looked at it, hey, the pandemic is a huge factor that impacted our forecast. Like, you know, hey, people are going to be at home more. Hey, Peloton, you know, how we do our marketing and our advertising, let's advertise it as, hey, you're at home. You still want to work out. You can't go right. to the, the gym. gyms are closed. That exactly. Is, <laughs> like exactly. that changes. It changes how you do your advertising, because right. one of the things that I see with a lot of like even I would say businesses up to about, you know, 100 million, 120 million is usually where I see them. Anything below 120 million, I see is they pick one type of marketing strategy. They don't pay attention to, you know, some mm -hmm. of the macro things that are happening and they keep their marketing exactly the same. And, and I think that when you're really doing a serious forecast, you're sitting back and saying, all right, how many products are we going to sell or how many new customers, you know, subscribers are we going to have? And then you ask yourself, OK, all right, if we think we're going to do, you know, 20 million, you know, over the next six months. OK, what's going to actually drive that to happen? And yeah. I think when you start asking yourself those questions and you start thinking about those factors, it starts forcing you to get more intelligent about the business. Like, for example, um, working with some family law practices. Um, one of the things that, you know, one of the, the conversations like family law attorneys support divorces, like, okay, mm -hmm. during the pandemic, <laughs> not as many people are getting divorced, but after spending so much time together, oh like when things started opening back up, one of the things that family law attorneys saw is divorce filing started to go up a little bit more. And it's just like, it's like one of those things, like, I'm not saying like I'm an advocate for divorce, but it's just like, hey, that is a factor that impacts, you know, your forecast. Like when right. you're trying to forecast out like, hey, 
the demand for a, you know, the demand also for, let's say, attorneys who do trust and wills. Like during the pandemic, the need and the demand for people to set up a will or a trust, it shot through the roof because mm -hmm. people started realizing like, oh, shoot, like it's not. I mean, I don't know when my last breath will be taken. I want to make sure that my family is taken care of. And I do think paying attention to like, hey, yes, it's good to set financial targets of what we want to hit. But I think forecasting is a little different where you're actually looking and saying, OK, all right, what needs to happen or what is happening that will impact our results? And how do we adjust and really position the business so that we can maximize this moment? Right. No, that's that's a really, really good point. Yeah, we do not advocate divorce. Um, but, you know, I, you got to you got to follow the trend, especially like with the wills and stuff. So I think that's a really good point. So if I was to summarize it, Terrell, because I know we've talked about a lot of things. Um, if I was to summarize it, I would divide and you could free to add in anything here. I would probably say like the three big takeaways from the Peloton story um, for me and advice to business owners is. Number one, it is extremely important that you study your customer base. Focus. I think, Terrell, you made such a good point. Focus on the customer base that you want to support because you can't support everybody and study and understand how the market is changing and how their behaviors are changing. Once you have an understanding of that, number two, the forecasting and forecasting is so critical and important for you to understand what you're going to do differently in your business based on what you can expect. Like Terrell mentioned, you gave the example, Terrell, of like the will and trust attorneys, right? Like you probably at that point, if you were a lawyer, you probably needed to hire more staff to support that additional, you know, level of services that were going to be needed. And then I would say three is just implementing as quick as you can based on your forecast when it comes to what you're doing in your business, taking that information and making actionable decisions in your business to basically put yourself in a bigger position to win. Terrell, anything you want to add to that? Um, No, I, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, uh, and I think overall, it's just as you look at Peloton, it's, it's really just noticing what are some of the things that they did to adjust, to change, to navigate, and how are they, you know, addressing their issues? And it's going to become very important, you know, mm -hmm. when you look at Peloton, because in 2022, they announced that they lost about $2 billion. So the question is, how are they going to navigate moving forward? Because they're going to be making some significant changes because I don't think they've lost that much money before. So yeah. whatever significant changes they start making, it's like as a smaller business, like you may not be doing billions a year, but you can learn from observing what they're going to do and how they're going to navigate it. So I think there will be a lot more lessons to learn, you know, as you watch Peloton over time. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.